0: Change the oils and oil the squeaks Patch the holes and fluid leaks At dusk beneath a diabetic moon And wait to take the TV crews Across the creaking ice The news is howling To the timber wolves And soon I'll go through it all again Watch their doubtful smiles begin But the visions that I see believe in me So praise the things I can't forget With burgers and a silhouette On t-shirts at the council general store i'll listen to the south wind sigh with rumors and regrets and i don't want to talk about it anymore won't go through it all again watch their doubtful smiles begin when the visions that i see believe in me that I see, they
1: This is Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. This is kind of one of my at-home interviews. I do them occasionally. It's kind of <laughs> nice. It's a lot more relaxed than like sitting in a recording studio yeah. at the station in a box. It's at my kitchen table.
2: And there's a cat.
1: There's a cat who, thankfully, is not watching us anymore. My cat is psychotic. I'm just putting this on record. <laughs> she uh, attacks people. Mainly me. That's okay. It's I'm okay so far. You're, uh, so far, she'll probably be good to you. Um, she really hates tall people.
2: Oh, great! I'm no, five, like ten. tall. Okay,
1: um, same, around the same height as you. All right. Yeah. No, I mean taller than me and my lady. you're safe. Uh, my guest today is Shannon Girard. Uh Your get or your uh, book, Swor- Sword of My Mouth. Which you did with Jim Monroe. A very Toronto uh, creation, I guess. You're both from Toronto.
2: We're both from Toronto.
1: You're not in Toronto anymore, though? I am. Okay. Is Jim in Toronto still?
2: Yes, he is. Okay, so that's Toronto. (laughs)
1: Uh, Unspent Love, uh, which is the series you're working on right now. And then you're also in Vancouver doing research for another project.
2: Well, I'm in Vancouver at the end of my research, which actually took place in California.
1: Oh. Huh. We'll
2: new book, maybe. We'll jump
1: into <laughs> later on. I'm really curious. I think it's really fascinating. So uh, maybe we'll jump into who you are. Um, I'm really curious because you do a lot of different art stuff. It's very rare that my personal life mixes in with my <laughs> comic life. And so the f- It's funny. Uh, like you went down to Blim where my girlfriend works, and you're yes. selling all these products there, and
2: and then a mere four or five hours later, I met you, at and Lucky's. I just yeah. realized that you were there was a connection.
1: There's a connection. Not many people get that connection or see that connection. Um, <laughs> so I guess what I'm going to kind of roundabout is. What do you have a primary artistic interest? Because the stuff you're doing is knitting.
2: It's crochet. Crochet. That is an important distinction.
1: (laughs) 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 My textile arts girlfriend will kick my ass for that. Don't worry. (laughs) That's
2: okay. Yeah, crochet is what takes up the most of my time, and it's probably the thing, the material process that I love the most. If I had to use the word love to describe my relationship to my work, Crochet definitely has my heart. But drawing and writing are also
1: You were mentioning how your masters. What was your
2: That was an interdisciplinary masters that I got uh which really means whatever you want to make a project about. (laughs) Uh, So mine was on autobiographical comic books. And so my thesis was half studio and half written paper. So I made an autobio comic book series, and then I wrote a research paper to support it.
1: Was there any particular thing about autobio that really stuck out to you to jump into it?
2: Oh, I think probably just the like the attempt to communicate something universal or make some sense of your own experience by like relating it to other people in particular. I think that was probably the most important thing.
1: How was uh, the school as far as what you were doing?
2: Uh, well, I went to York University in Toronto um, because they were one of the only programs I could find that really suited my desire like it's a, it's a super excellent program if you're very motivated and you know like if you have a particular research goal or a particular interest like I did in blending studio work with academic work
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, York of all the schools that I kind of talked to was really open to that genre mashup so that it worked really well for me because I aside from one half credit that I took in a women's studies department I didn't (laughs) have to take any courses it was really great so basically I had two years at the school and they were like okay go Uh, and I had professors who were interested in my project because they kind of intersected in some way with their own research interests and then they guided me I did a lot of like supervised uh, studio work with technical support, and then I had like a lot of academic reading courses that were just one-on-one on one with props. so it was awesome because I didn't have That's to great. kind of obey the or follow the traditional route through an academic
1: I know Jeet um, here, uh, he's doing his doctorate through York on hmm. the uh, Little Orphan Annie on Harold Gray. Cool. <laughs> on the uh, It's on his political viewpoints because he was really right wing in so yeah. his time, so Interesting. So it's that's cool. Yeah, arguing like like comics cool. came
2: out right around the time that I was halfway through my master's. Oh, okay. So that was pretty cool. Yeah.
1: It's a good book, from what I understand.
2: I haven't read that much of it. Neither have I. Don't tell. GP. I've got the
1: uh, I've got the comic studies reader, and that was really good. <laughs>
2: so
1: that's okay. Very Toronto uh, names here. Yeah. Um. So, sort of my mouth was that your first kind of post school comic book or.
2: Um, yeah, I think it was the first sort of serious... Um, venture. Yeah, adventure. Since school.
1: How was it for you collaborating with someone else, going from doing autobiography to doing...
2: It was awesome. It was such a leap in so many ways. Like, number one, as an artist over the board, I haven't done a collab with someone before, and I've always really been interested in collaborating, so it was totally great to find that opportunity. Uh, and then creatively I took this is the project that I probably spent aside from my master's project which took me two years uh, this I spent about a year and a half on wow. so it was, I think if I was trying to undertake my own major project I would have lost faith in my own work over a period of time <laughs> honestly um, because I was used to working in a shorter format right and mm-hmm. this is like 140 something pages so it was really great to have a creative kind of uh, leader on the project which was Jim. So that was an amazing thing. And then also just to like have the freedom to work with someone like Jim was really great. Because he wasn't like bossy bossy, you know, he was like really open to my interpretation of his script, which was really good.
1: So did you have a lot of input as far as like some of the topics within
2: the book? Yeah, yeah, because he he had written Therefore Repent, which Salgood Sam illustrated and he wanted to do this second book that was like located within the same universe, but he really wanted to try bringing on a different artist to kind of move through the universe but not have it look the same as the previous book. Um, so he sort of only had a really loose conception of what he wanted to do at the beginning. And then he asked me, "Would you be interested?" And I said, "I sure would. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. Mm, of course. Uh, so before the story was even like kind of more tightly written we took these two research trips to Detroit together which was amazing because I was Mm -hmm. like basically brought on board right from the start before it was even more than a kernel of an idea and through the people that we met and the things that we saw and kind of jim's overall impression i guess of the city the story got written so and jim doesn't have a driver's license so when we were on the road (laughs) i would be doing all the driving and jim would kind of have his mind free to think about the story but we would also have these long conversations all the way to detroit and back about the story so Mm -hmm. it was really great because i i feel like our conversations and just like i don't know our our combined reactions to the city really wrote the story. I mean, Jim wrote the story. Uh, you know, He did yeah. all the work. But it, it was great to be able to understand the motivations of the characters and know what he was thinking and all that stuff, and so really it was from the beginning. It,
1: I, I'm, it's kind of interesting to hear that it wasn't just kind of a, a fictionalized portrayal creating just your own image of what is Detroit, but yeah. like contextualizing it. Yeah. And I guess for those that don't know... Uh, it's a post-rapture graphic novel, so I guess it's right. kind of post-apocalyptic. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, the The idea is that it's a post-apocalyptic story set in Detroit with this emphasis on self-sustainability mm-hmm. um, and the idea that Detroit, of all American cities, is the most well-equipped to deal with the <laughs> rapture, <laughs> to deal with the apocalypse. <laughs> so that was really all I knew about the story when I went with Jim to Detroit and then the story like I don't know got infused with like the actual people that we met I mean the, the characters are not based upon people mm. that we met but just uh, the, the kind of attitude of people towards their city was really important
1: well it's kind of because what you're talking about in the book with the farming the kind of mm. reclaiming areas is what's happening there now yeah
2: it's amazing which is really
1: fascinating like it's how totally fascinating it's contextually appropriate yeah I
2: guess yeah
1: did you guys go on any of the farms? In we
2: did. We went... I forget the name of the one that we saw that was kind of small. It had the word bees in the title. It was like the bee garden or something. Anyway, I <laughs> forget. Bees knees. But we saw this... The most amazing one that we saw was called the Catherine Ferguson Academy. And we... At first, we couldn't find it. We were driving around through, like, a serious ghetto. Like... Yeah. Yeah. This huge... Um, what I remember is seeing this huge elementary school that had a picture of... Um, Malcolm X on, like, spray painted on the side, and then it said "Quality Education by Any Means Necessary," and I was like, "Holy fuck, where am I?" Like, it was unlike anything I have seen before, and like, seriously depressed, like, burned out houses where every third house on the street is burned out or boarded up or whatever. So we sort of drove around looking for the place, and then we found it. And uh, I, I don't know what the acreage was, but I'm going to guess it was like three or four acre farm in the middle of it, like a really depressed neighborhood. Yeah. So uh, what happened was, I, I guess this, uh, I don't know who Catherine Ferguson is, but that's she the farm is named after her. So this organization uh, bought up all these tracts of land because they had like burned out houses on them and whatever, and they raised cheap. them all and they're so cheap. And then they turned them into this fully producing farm. So they have an orchard, they have an apiary, they have, like, all manner of livestock. They have chickens, they have a horse, they have this giant hoop house, like, it was incredible. And they have this solar barn that was, like, built by pregnant teenagers. It was was (laughs) so amazing. And they produce enough produce on this acreage, and honey and eggs and, you know, everything, to sell at Eastern Market on Saturdays and sustain the farm, and then yeah. people who volunteer or work on the farm get paid in produce and in eggs. So it's amazing. And then they kind of uh, the woman that we talked to told me that the people who work on the farm, the volunteers, and that they they often have. Uh, they they build this knowledge of farming and then they, they end up farming their own properties where they live. So it's yeah. kind of spread and there's other projects starting and stuff. Like, it's totally incredible.
1: It's kinda it reminds me of uh I don't know you ever read uh Will Eisner's Jerpsey Avenue.
2: I haven't.
1: It's basically about this neighborhood New- I think it's New York and how it builds up, builds up and you know goes from you know, farms to cities and yeah. how it's like kind of seeing that in reverse as everything's kind of breaking down yeah bit by bit
2: yeah exactly and like these i, I don't know it, it was amazing
1: it's really fascinating um also with like kind of a wider context i know in cuba after the fall of uh the soviet union they didn't have hmm. oil you know yeah there's this great thing in this documentary where some TV crews there with Castro and their truck runs out of gas. Oh wow, we're started. But um, the farms there, they actually had to like rethink and retool how they did their their agriculture. And so it turned into a lot more of like working on sustainable designs and like taking cities and putting farms within the cities, Mm -hmm. a lot of rooftop gardens.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, there's Um, a lot of those too.
1: It's really interesting just to see just how... I guess, how we're uh, recovering from our own apocalypse.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great.
1: The financial apocalypse. Yeah. Have you always had an interest in kind of communal cultures like that?
2: I'm, I'm pretty interested in how communities form and how people kind of build small towns around themselves no matter where they are in the world. Um, and I, I mean, the idea of... Farming being the, the nucleus of a community is really interesting to me because I grew up in the country and in the woods, but uh, I'm a failed gardener. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I can't keep anything alive.
1: That's okay. <laughs>
2: no, it's yeah, not. You're,
1: you're in, in my apartment, which has no outdoor access but four windows that open <laughs> on a slant.
2: <laughs>
1: we don't have plants here.
2: Yes, I crochet plants because that's how lame I am. I can't grow a real one.
4: I'm making believe that you're in my arms though I know you're so far away Making believe I'm talking to you Wish you could hear what I say And here in the gloom Of my lonely room We're dancing like we used to do Making believe Is just another way of dreaming So till my dreams come true I'll whisper goodnight, turn out the light and kiss my pillow, making
3: believe it's you. I'm making believe that you're in my arms, though I know you're so far away. Making believe I'm talking to you could hear what I say, and here in the gloom of my lonely room, we're dancing like we used to do, making believe is just another way of dreaming, so till my dreams come true, good night, turn out the light and kiss my pillow, making believe it's you.
4: dancing like we used to do
3: making believe is just another way of dreaming so till my dreams come true i'll whisper goodnight turn out the light and kiss my pillow making
1: what's the attraction to crochet like
3: oh
2: well i learned how to do it because i wanted to make this particular project called boobs and dinks and uh i i needed a way to kind of model three dimensional objects like make soft sculptures so my friend taught me how to do it and i loved it so much like just right away it made total sense to me and i don't know i I always nerd out about it and I'm like, it contains the perfect math of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> but it really does. I feel like Crochet can model like any concept or any shape can be made or like it's amazing, it's perfect. <laughs>
1: it's very mathematical. It
2: is very mathematical, but and I'm like a math failure. I don't I can't even multiply two two digit numbers without a calculator. But it's a different kind of math. It's like a really physical uh, relationship to, like, the math of how things are made in the world, how they're built. So it's... um, I love it.
1: And you're mentioning the... They're very popular, I guess, the crochet projects, the
2: the dinks and the... Yeah, they're pretty popular in some circles. (laughs) In (laughs) some circles.
1: Not in old folks' homes.
2: no. No. Although, I never tried leading a crochet workshop in an old folks home before. Maybe I'd have a new idea.
1: (laughs) Is it kind of giving you more of a hands-on artistic outlet, I guess? Because I'm presuming, wild presumption, that you do a lot of your artwork on the computer.
2: Yeah, I do a lot of compositing on the computer. Uh, Yeah, I, I feel like it's just... It, it is a way to make things and I'm happy with the things that I make but crochet, my relationship to crochet is as like a research tool you know, like I had, for example I had a health issue last summer and throughout the fall last year and uh, I, I could not conceptualize what was happening with my body so I ended up crocheting a uterus with like fallopian tubes and ovaries and uh, everything and that that approach to kind of the mm-hmm. problem really helped me figure out how, just like what my body looked like on the inside, and then I could start to talk about what was going wrong with my with my lady parts. <laughs> but crocheting them really helped me feel it's better. I mean, just like it's a very meditative process, so even just like the physical act of doing it calms you down and kind of puts you I me mean, in a meditative state, but also just the, the formality of making the thing really helped me kind of think about the world. And uh, that's only one example. It's
1: very three-dimensional.
2: It is, really. yeah. But it's also like super uh, I don't know. It's minuscule. You know, like it's three-dimensional, but you build a three-dimensional object for repetition of the exact same stitch. So it's, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go off on a total nerd fest with
1: it's How much all right
2: I love crochet
1: it's okay <laughs> it's it's you know it's i I think it's important um, for artists especially like cartoonists to to kind of be okay being artists <laughs> and allowing art to be things beyond illustrated page
2: yeah
1: I think and like that's why someone like Seth is interesting where he makes these sculptures mm. Like the buildings he designs, right? Yeah. Or um, Gary Panter makes a million different little things. Yeah. You know, so it's it's important to be creatively, I guess, engaged with your Mm -hmm. products.
2: Yeah, maybe my relationship to drawing is similar in some ways too, because what I'm really interested in is like uh, those moments of human connection between characters in the stories, and I really prefer figure drawing to everything. So, I don't know, those relationships between all the elements on a page, like, if I think about the content of the story, I'm interested in, like, building bigger stories from these little kind of gestures, which is maybe similar to crochet, but also just, like, the design of the pages. Like, I don't draw the whole page. I just kind of draw individual figures or Mm -hmm. buildings or backgrounds or whatever, and then I composite the page from those elements. It gives me, like, a lot of range for making changes or you know, kind of animating the page in a different way so I feel like crochet really satisfies that physically for me but my relationship to drawing is very based on the same kind of uh, narrative building
1: well I know like Chester Brown does the um, he does overlays for yeah, the sets of the page yeah, yeah. so it's kind of similar yeah, without similar. being his um, particularly retentive is Chester Brown's process
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: it's, I've heard it's very... Because what he does, he does that and then draws the page again.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: well, whatever helps yeah. your brain kind of make the story, right?
1: Yeah. Now, do you illustrate on computer as well?
2: No, I draw on paper. Okay. And then I scan and composite things on... How
1: the fully computer. referenced
2: are you? Very based on photos. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, I usually, for sort of My Mouth, was kind of another reason why I loved working with someone else's project is that it was a real interpretation of something, not just, like, me trying to communicate my thoughts. It was me taking somebody else's kind of universe and interpreting it. So I took that approach to the models as well. Like, I found mostly people I knew, a couple people we found on Craigslist. uh, And then those people showed up for these photo shoots and I wouldn't give them the script. I would just basically tell them the scenario or like talk to mm. them about the story and then we would do these like improv acting workshops. <laughs> <laughs> and I would take photographs during those. So it was really beautiful because they would bring like a lot of their own gestures to the story which otherwise I would not have understood. Like one one really obvious example is there's an older Middle Eastern character in the later part of the book and he points at a map on one page. So we kind of talked to him about the scenario We told him, like, hey, at this point You need to point at the map And he, he was like, in my culture, I would never do that Like, I would gesture to the map with my hand With yep. my palm open like, I would never point So those, like, really small kind of details Ended up becoming part of the way we told the story And it was like, became this kind of multiverse You know, of possibilities and ideas And it, it was really such a great way to work And then from those photos, I made the drawings Composited them
1: It seems like it's really worked as far as like kind of cementing more ideas of how to do comics Mm -hmm. for yourself. Yeah.
2: Making your own comics. Yeah. And I mean, it's the same as my my feelings about crochet. I'm not like super duper interested necessarily in um, like having it be predictable. Yeah. I love the idea of it being gestural. And my way of drawing, like in a lot of cases, I trace right over top of photographs. So that is really limiting in terms of like the line quality. And there are definite limitations to working that way. So where I try to work in the spontaneity and the gestures is in this approach through improvisation. And crochet is really improvisational as well. You know, you introduce one change and then later amorphously there's it affects the shape that you're building. So that it's a really similar process too. so it's
1: really important for you to be involved, involved in that process of the yeah,
2: and the or like having an idea of what I want to communicate but then letting it be like kind of a, its own organism in a way yeah
1: so unspent love that's your your it's next it's my
2: current project yeah
1: tell me a bit about kind of where it was the nucleus
2: uh, well, Unspent Love is similar to what I did for my grad project, which was a series called Hung. So they were like kind of episodic. Um, I, I don't even know if they're totally narratives because they don't sort of tell a story from beginning to end. They're like these vignettes. So a lot of people have called them prose poems. I don't know if, if I totally love that title, but they're they're vignettes. So they're like a... Again, like, I have a written piece. So for Unspent Love, what I've been doing is, like, talking about communities and small towns, I have, like, people in my life who I call my small town. (laughs) (laughs) I have their names all on a list above my computer, and when I'm kind of feeling low or, like, panicky or something, I just read their names, and it really soothes me because I know, like, okay, I've got this small town of people who I love and who, you know, are the most important thing to me ever. So uh, what I've been doing for Unspent Love is asking the people from this fictitious small town or you know my small town of my own construction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and they model in the situations. But I'll so I'll give them in this case the text for it and then we just kind of like the, the important thing to me is that the drawings do not illustrate the narrative, but they kind of interpret it. So they sometimes relate really specifically and sometimes it's Compliment like maybe. Yeah. They're they're alongside it. You know, like it doesn't say you look sad and the person in the picture looks (laughs) sad, you know, like it's uh, they're they're not always like super related to the words. Anyway, so they're gestural episodes and then they kind of are thematically linked through this idea of loss or, you know, hope, yeah, frailty.
1: It's funny that someone says poetry Is I, like, hearing you have a little little bit of a challenge with that, I have a bit of a challenge too with Mm -hmm. that kind of terminology where it's like it, it almost makes it like it's not okay to say it's a comic
2: yeah i don't know my resistance to the word poetry is that often i love poetry like besides memoir and fiction i read tons of poetry like the poetry i probably read more than i read fiction but so i love it but mm-hmm. i don't know my resistance is that it often is cryptic or i don't know uh I I like, yeah, I like the idea of it being deliberate. Like poetry is a very deliberate way of writing, but I I hope that my stuff is more penetrable than the word poetry. I think it's off-putting to people because they're like, "Oh, I hated poetry in high school." I mean, it has a
1: (laughs) it's a thirty-page sonnet.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it has a bit of a pretension or something to it that I'm not super happy about. I
1: I just felt like it was just trying to kind of capture quiet moments. Mm-hmm. just lonely moments, I guess. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, poetry I guess is that
1: long- too. Yeah. yeah. I just, I don't know. I'm a comic guy. I just don't comics. <laughs> yeah. do you kind comics. Of, do you have a narrative going through or is it each piece...
2: It's pretty episodic, yeah. I'm... Right now, I guess there are 12 chapters written. Hopefully, by November, and there's others written, just not drawn. So by November, I have an exhibition in Toronto at a a studio where I work. And by that point, I hope to have 20 chapters done and illustrated. And uh, I'm going to bind them together into a little softcover book. But what will hopefully link them is um, finding someone to write an introductory essay about them. That'll hopefully and similar maybe in some ways to One Hundred Demons, you know, Linda Berry's book where she has this process she's following, so there's like something to link those stories together and they're stylistically very you know, obviously they look the same. But they're not related. You know, they maybe have the same sort of character or something. So I'm I'm thinking of how I want to tie the book together. I need, like... So it's not like, break your heart, break your heart, break your <laughs> heart. Break your heart. <laughs> Bam! It needs, yeah, it needs something. It needs a link, a, a thematic through. It's, it's okay, though. You know, it's... Some people
1: have a real challenge with really sad... Not sad, but work that isn't, you know, giving you a hug at the end. And it's okay, to read mm-hmm. something and be done and be like, okay, I don't feel so great, but that's fine.
2: But no, this other person doesn't feel great either. Woohoo! I'm, oh not, ba- I'm not alone.
1: Well, it means, you know, you're, you've are you made a connection with the reader, right? Yeah. And if that's, to me, most important when you're creating a work. It's not for you mm-hmm. to just kind of sit there and be yeah. fluffy. You know, you're not reaffirming someone's need for joy. You're more just connecting yeah. on a for lack of a better term, visceral level, an emotionally guess, uh, visceral yeah. level.
2: That's well. The subtitle is called actually called "Unspent Love" or "Things I Wish I Told You." So it kind of has that uh, emphasis on like I'm trying to communicate something to you, but you know, the the person trying to do the communicating. So in this case, me is like evaporates. Right? You have the reader and their relationship to that story, and that is important to me. That relationship, what people kind of. I wanted to hopefully tell other people's stories, too, so that's what we're going for.
1: Earlier, you were talking about the design of the uh, the minis you have right now, just how it's accidentally minimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I kind of feel like, aesthetically, it needs to be minimal. Mm, yeah. Um, especially with the work, where it's very pared down. There's no superfluous components to it. <laughs>
2: No backgrounds, <laughs> no environments. I hate drawing architecture <laughs> and I hate drawing hardware and furniture, so. <laughs> this is me saying forget everything else but the figure.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, that, that, I, I wasn't thinking it was a matter of laziness. I was
2: no, not one. laziness. <laughs> it's just like, I'm not good at that, and uh, yeah, I'll just not draw the things I'm not good at drawing. <laughs> that's all right.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, what I see is just kind of like you have something you really particularly want to put out there. It's the figure, it's the words, it's the figure's motions, and that's it. Yeah. That's you know, not... The figure in a crowd. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I <laughs> guess
1: I should have had a question going with that, but I don't.
5: Question's bye. Bye. Hi Michael. Hi Andy. Thanks for joining us. Do you wanna you wanna sing a song together? Sure. Is it a sweet song? Yeah. It's real sweet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that okay, Michael? Okay.
1: I don't think you have a choice. Okay.
0: The world is such a
4: wonderful place to wonder Oh, when you've got somebody you I
3: love to wander along with you.
5: Okay, you know. The sky so full of stars <laughs> the river so Song Welcome back, Andy. Every heart should be so, so
3: thankful. Thankful for this friendly, friendly world. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Andy. Thank
1: you all for this friendly, friendly world. Thanks for nothing. Now, you're in Vancouver specifically as part of a tour, mm-hmm. a personal tour, uh, and this is what I'm really fascinated with this project you're working on right now. Now, is it okay to chat about it?
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, it's so it's unfully formed, is it the thing. Is it's very blobby right now.
1: Maybe that's why I'm excited by it.
2: Well, l- loosely, what I'm looking at... Is my dad was uh, an itinerant puppeteer as a child. So from the time he was an infant to about the age of nine, his family traveled through California performing marionette puppet shows um, out of their van. So they lived in a van and would travel, and then they had this puppet theater they set up, and my grandfather would make the puppets, and they had this performance that they did. So I went through California. I started in San Diego because that's where my dad was born. Chula Vista so I started there and I went to the historical archives in San Diego, has this really amazing photographic uh, photo archive so I started there and then I just sort of traveled through California trying to find out different things about their county fairs and their history and I talked to some other puppeting families a little bit and yeah, I sort of started to think about making a book about that experience
1: what was the choice to kind of? Because I mean, this is an an easy road trip. Like, it's not like you're just yeah. jumping. Because you're from Toronto, San Diego yeah. is far. I mean, what yeah. was the choice to kind of jump into this?
2: Well, I feel like I haven't jumped into it because I've been thinking about this project for so many years. But I kind of lacked the maturity or the confidence or the you know the timing was bad because I had so many other things going on. And this year, I just decided like I I got to start this. Yeah, it felt, kind of, started to feel a bit desperate, like I care about this story and I've been really, you know, searching for this story for a while, so it just felt like time to start. So this, this trip was kind of unsuccessful in some ways in that I... Um, had a couple of connections that I missed out on like there's a puppeting museum in Pasadena but the guy from there was in Seattle when I was in Pasadena then he connected me with these two other puppeting families who live in Seattle but then those people were in San Juan when I was in Seattle so there's a couple of missed connections there but uh, this trip I think is just getting my footing and figuring out like number one the geography of California which is going to inform the story but also like finding those people has been really great so next year, uh, my plan is to build a van myself that I can travel in. So in many ways, to try to replicate the experience that my grandmother, as a young woman, would have had on the road with these boys and, you know, this van she lived in.
1: Bring your own family?
2: Well, yeah, I'll bring probably bring my son as well, which would be really great. And, uh, yeah, just sort of try to live out of the van and maybe go for the whole summer. This this year, I just travel for six weeks, so... Yeah, it's just like getting my feet wet and figuring out a bit of the structure of the story and then next year, undertake it as a serious project. Unspent love will be done by then, and you know, it'll be good.
1: Any interesting revelations, for lack of a better term, after we talked about a post-rapture? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it, it's been unhinging, actually, to be on the road, because I'm by myself. So I've been by myself for six weeks. I mean, I've made... I have friends up the coast in yeah. different places, so in some places I was able to stay with people that I knew, but for those long periods of, you know, six or seven days in a row, I guess it's not a long period, but, you know, where I'd be driving or I'd be on the train or something, and I'd just be like, everything I understood about myself or my life is, is removed, so it's been, like, psychologically like a, like a psych evaluation to be out here really it's been crazy
1: well you've had like as much as you've seen people in the way you had no one else that's going through the same experience mm-hmm. which is a lot different yeah than, like kind of doing that time alone yeah that you know unique discoveries yeah you know weird it, meals
2: yes oh <laughs> my god I've gained 10 pounds on this trip <laughs> uh, yeah when I got to San Diego we went out for dinner and then the following night or something we went out and the people I was staying with Uh, my friend opened her purse, and she had a Tupperware in her purse, and I was like, what do you have that for? And she was like, oh, just wait. So the food comes to the table, and I'm like, holy God, like, this is three times the amount of food you would get in Canada. So U.S. portions, holy... uh, Yeah, the food is... uh, another psych evaluation like really I just <laughs> eat that much food so yeah and you know being with people who take you out and I've drunk a lot of alcohol like I never would normally do at home so anyway I'm getting fat
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's alright
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: well it's, it's a road trip but, and you go I'm on a road trip you know so you have another cookie or whatever anyway celebrate yeah
1: celebrate life yeah so for now, we can see The Sword of My Mouth mm-hmm. in stores. Unspent mm-hmm. Love, which is on the Top Shelf 2.0 website, website which has lots of many great
2: yes. cartoonists. I'm so pleased to keep company with the other people on that There's website. folks. A lot Very of Vancouver
1: good. people are on there as well. Yes. So check it out. And your website, ShannonGerard.org. No .org.
2: Yeah. I got the address when it was like the possibilities were expanding behind, beyond .com and the person I talked to about building the website was like oh don't get .com That'll, people will think you're a corporate fuck you know get, get <laughs> .org I mean, man. .org is the one that people get when they want to like communicate that they're not a corporate fuck so I was like alright yeah and then like the next year .ca became available and I was like oh I should have got that but it was you know I was already so invested in .org but I'm not an org and I have a store on my org <laughs> Listen, it's not right. It's not right. I love <laughs> anyway, that. Dot org.
1: Where you can see all your uh, crochet proje- projects mm-hmm. and comics and more. And yeah. lots of illustration work. Yep. Lots. I was flipping through and I had to stop after a while.
2: Too many drawings. Too many.
1: Too many drawings. Yeah. Who are some of your comic and heroes?
2: Oh, comicking heroes! Well, Linda Berry, let's put her right there on the top. She's amazing. Uh, comicking heroes.
1: What are some of the in- people that influenced you in your own?
2: I like comics. Lily Carré quite a bit. Who else do I love? Uh, Ruto Moden.
1: Amazing
2: hero for sure. Lady hero. Uh, and then, I don't know I read a lot of prose fiction yeah. And memoir stuff So, like, Miriam Taves Manitoba author She's really important to my writing uh, Miranda July mm-hmm. So, yeah I mean, I'm interested in her too Because she's multidisciplinary as well, right? She's a writer and a performer and it does video stuff too, right? She does video stuff, yeah And she does a lot of sculptural work Which is really interesting So, yeah those are my, my big
1: ones. Well, I look forward to Unspent Love uh, finishing up. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited about the puppets.
2: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> gonna, and I'm going to try to learn to make puppets because of this kind of relationship I have to sculptures It's
1: so. a, It's amazing. The yeah. I was telling Shannon before, I went to this house, to this family, and they're <gasps> puppeteers, yeah. and they're showing me, and they're telling me about the process, the, the molds that they would have for the hands and all that, so... It's a it's a unique and almost lost, yeah. I guess, discipline in itself, so it's important to document as a historian. Yes, document, document, document. Yeah. So, thank you so much, Adam.
2: Thank you.
5: Yeah. The dark is dropping like a spot. Black King squeezed into a glass of water Now the crowds are thinning out Into the light down Subway so stations here This train speeds underground This train speeds under the river And I will drift back to the slope some face unlit, they're stuck into the incline Where I will sleep off all the noise The soot accumulated all my trials Here yeah, this train speeds underground This train speeds under the river And I thank you, Lord Almighty, up above the F train to me. So thankful for all the unspent love that I save up in a jar of money. Your Polaroid is on the wall, stuck in the crack between the door and door frame, trapped in the middle of some laugh some drunken joke, some friend of yours was telling you. This train speeds underground, this train speeds under the river. And I thank you, Lord Almighty of above, for sending out the F train to me. So thankful. For all the unspent love that I save up in a jar of money That I save up in a jar of money That I save up in a jar of money That I save up in a jar of money That I save up in a jar of money that I save up in a jar of money that